You know, Denise, I'm, I'm really glad you asked me out on this date. I mean, it, ever since we met on, on uh, Suck, S-U-K, um, it's been really great, you know, and I just, obviously, um, there's a, obviously, since where we met, there's a question I'm dying to ask you. Of course. What, what is the question? Well, Denise, I just, I gotta be honest with you. Even though we've met on a vampire fan dating app, I also like it when there's, you know, werewolves involved. You know what I mean? It just spices it up. It makes it feel like there's more of a, a relationship between them. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, it just adds to the mythology. Oh my god. I am the exact same way. I love Love, love it when the vampires and the werewolves are in the movies together. It's, it's so good. And it, you know, it also helps if the vampires and the werewolves are, you know, a little sexy. Oh, Denise, I'm, I am on board with you a hundred percent there. Uh, vampires in tight-fitting leather, leather, <laughs> excuse me, uh, very hot. And, and of course, practically naked werewolf men. Oh, delightful. And of course, there's got to be action, you know, lots of action, lots of fighting, swords, silver. Oh, of course, there has to be fighting and action and all of that. And of course, a little bit of romance, of course. Oh, of course, you know, it, of course, of course, got to be a little bit of that. You know, I'm just, I'm just so excited to hear that you also love the Underworld films. What? Oh, uh, no, I'm... Oh, I'm... I was talking about, uh, Twilight? Oh. Oh. Oh, Denise. I'm... <clears throat> I'm sorry. I have to... I have to go, Denise. This was... It was... It was nice to meet with you. But our food hasn't even come yet. I... You know, I know... We already ordered. You know, Denise, that's that's on me, and I'd leave you money, except you do like Twilight. And I just, you, you failed the vampire vibe check, Denise. I'm sorry, I have to, I have to go. Wait, hold on, maybe there's other vampire stuff we could agree on, like, I also, I also like Anne Rice. Anne Rice? You look, okay, okay, I, I can work with Anne Rice. Um, okay, wait, um... Pre or post finding Jesus and Rice? Well, post, obviously. Okay, I'm sorry. Denise, I have to go. Clearly, I'm... You're thinking like weird Mormon shit, and I'm thinking like light S&M. This just... This just isn't gonna work. Ah, uh, you have a great day. But wait, hold on. You... You ordered surf and turf! I didn't expect to pay for surf and turf. You said we were going Dutch. Welcome to the show. All right, everybody, and welcome. Welcome, welcome back to Ruben Uncut. Today, we'll be talking about movies. <laughs> I know, I know. All right, so, so, 
I recently watched all the Resident Evil movies. A, a unique nerd franchise from the, uh, from the uh, early 2000s. Well, technically it went into the sort of, uh, I think it went into like, what, 2012, 2015, 7? I don't know. When did Resident Evil 6 come out? I don't remember. Not important. Point is, it started there. And it's part of a series, it is a film series from something I would refer to as the post-Matrix era. These are films that sort of spun out of the success of the Matrix. And let me talk about that for a second. This is the first time I've really brought this up. I would refer to a certain portion of action cinema specifically as the post-Matrix era. That is, films that were released after the first Matrix, as well as the, and most of them, after also the sequels to the Matrix. Although there were a few films that were early adopters to jump on the themes of the Matrix and try and capitalize on it, like Swordfish. Now, the thing about the Matrix is that the Matrix is a wild, successful sci-fi action uh, film that Hollywood, for all their, um, for all the film's successes, it's easy to say that we don't, it doesn't really ever feel like Hollywood really understood the Matrix. Because, because the post-Matrix era is unique sort of in a way in the fact that the Matrix didn't just inspire itself onto one genre of action movie. Because, and this is the thing, Hollywood understood that the Matrix movies were successful, but it couldn't really figure out how or why. Because the Matrix was kind of unique. And it caused Hollywood producers to spread sort of a wide net when it came to action movies. Trying to focus on numerous different aspects of the Matrix that might be what was so successful about it. Even Swordfish, Swordfish, which featured one of, one of the first movies to feature a Matrix-esque action camera sequence, and a was also heavily about hacking. So, Swordfish was about that. But I'm not here to talk about Swordfish. I'm here to talk about Underworld. Oh wait, but let me finish talking about this real quick. This, the various genres that the Matrix sort of caused Hollywood to throw more money into were things like were things like fantasy movies, science fiction movies, and of course kung fu films. Wire fighting and over-the-top action sequences were now almost re requisite to action movies. You couldn't do an action movie without some type of slow-mo or wire work. If you didn't want your films to feel sort of, I don't know, antiquated. So this inspired things like making Jet Li a big star in America for like a decade. And also Jackie Chan. Although Jackie Chan had ha had quite a cult following before the film Rush Hour, Jackie Chan still sort of came up in this time period as well. However, it also inspired things like more su now superhero movies were already making their way heavily into cinemas at this point but the matrix sort of 
superheroes also sort of like give movies a good excuse to give themselves, you know, bombastic over-the-top action sequences and wire work. Wire work, of course, being anything that makes it look like a character's running or flying or jumping on walls and bouncing all around. Typically, that's done with wire work. It's an entire genre of kung fu films that is almost entirely about it. And that's not to lots of various genres, including... I mean, lots of different films in lots of different genres, including Resident Evil, which I previously talked about, which is definitely a post-Matrix film with all of its Matrix-inspired action sequences. Now, one of the nice things that came out of the post-Matrix era, though, and this is worth noting, is that the post-Matrix era sort of... Well, it kind of killed that ridi the ridiculous 90s action hero stereotypes. Suddenly, it was okay for action heroes to not have quips they dropped every, every, every murder. <laughs> Suddenly, it was okay for things to be heavy or dark without it also being, like, gratuitously over-the-top in terms of violence. Although, to be fair, all these movies are kind of over-the-top when it comes to violence. That's not the point. The point is that sort of cheesier... That sort of cheesier 90s and 80s action hero who is very overtly masculine and, and uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone types. Somehow, the post-Matrix world, action heroes could be kind of anybody. Well, I shouldn't say anybody. But the fact of the matter is, is it definitely brought diversity more into action movies. And I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there weren't movies that featured diversity in action movies before. Women and minorities leading action movies is a thing that's always been going on. Although, you understand, to a lesser degree in the mainstream. But it also changed the way that male action heroes looked. Still definitely fit and typically in pretty good shape. But not always sort of in that steroided way that Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone were. Ke Hell, Keanu Reeves, who had already done a few action movies in the 90s, didn't exactly look like your typical action hero. But after The Matrix, dudes who look more like they, uh, they read books and go to Ren Fairs could be action heroes. I would say that, I would say though that women probably got the biggest bump in action movies of that period. Because women suddenly got to do a lot of action movies where it, while still technically sexy, also not as sexualized. Don't be wrong, there's nudity in the Resident Evil movies, and there are some sex scenes throughout the series of Underworld. But like, and the heroes are definitely sexy, and yeah, you you definitely see you definitely see Mila Jovich naked in the Resident Evil movies. I'm not saying there's no sexualizing, but the women feel how do I put it? More like characters, more like they're out in front, more like we're on their journey. And admittedly, the Resident Evil's journey. Uh, now, Resident Evil, I would say, definitely has more diversity than the Underworld movies, but we'll get into that in a minute. But the Resident Evil movie, admittedly, Alice's journey is not a spectacularly complex one. Sort of, it's just her struggle to survive and discover who she is. 
and it's certain story elements make it vaguely limited but still the focus of the film has to be on her journey because you know almost everybody else dies but underworld is for the most part definitely uh kate beckinsale's journey well sort of here's the thing let's talk about underworld now underworld versus a lot of other action movies i would say is definitely lore heavy this is a this is a pretty hard fantasy vampire versus werewolf series and it starts off in the first film of underworld now underworld uh stars kate beckinsale as celine and basically she is a death dealer she is a werewolf i'm sorry beg your pardon she is a vampire whose job it is to essentially hunt and kill werewolves that's her job in a continuous war between the werewolves and i'm sorry they the lichens which is what they refer to him in as in here and the vampires one day while celine is out doing her job hunting down werewolves she notices that the werewolves are stalking a very specific human played by scott speedman in all honesty this is the only series i've ever seen scott speedman in so i don't i don't really know much about him but i've heard his name since forever as uh, celine investigates this human and what's going on with the werewolves she discovers a whole mess of conspiracies tied in with the vampires and the werewolf war that makes it so she realizes the war is is not what she thought it was and so begins to realize that she has been deceived into basically raging a race war on the lichen who as the film progresses we begin to understand where the lichen are coming from we begin to understand where the vampire we understand what the vampires did to the lichens and it's well it's a lot in terms of actual story i'm not going to get into it here but i will say if you like if you like sort of heavier fantasy with lots of lore then i would kind of recommend the films the first movie the first movie i think is probably the second best probably the first or second best film in the series there are two films that really stand out from the series and that's the first and the third but we'll get into the third in a minute i will say however that strangely even though it has the lowest budget underworld is probably the film that has aged the most gracefully out of the series and the major reason for this is that the practical effect lichens look a hell of a lot better than the cgi lichens now the series does use practical lichens throughout but the thing that is frustrating is that as the series progresses they slowly use more and more cgi lichen this movie has the best ratio of cgi to practical effect lichen it's allowing it to age more gracefully than the rest of its film arguably underworld one is sort of the the story of the vampires and the lichens is technically given here but the story itself is like 
The way the film series chooses to tell its story is interesting, and I'm not sure if it was done for creative reasons or for, um, or for making sure Kate Beckinsale is the center of this franchise because the director is dating her. Uh, oh, wait. That's almost... That's the interesting thing I forgot to tell you about this movie, which is that it is directed by... Hold on, what's his... Where's his name? What is this guy? Lynn Wiseman, I believe? Uh, yeah, Lynn Wiseman directs the first two films. And the reason that, that, that that's interesting is that Lynn Wiseman is... Best Buddies with Paul W. Anderson, sorry, Paul W. S. Anderson, who made the Resident Evil movies. And just like Paul W. S. Anderson, who at the time, who was dating and then married Milo Jovich during the making of the Resident Evil movies, he was dating and then married Kate Beckinsale while making the Underworld movies. So, so that's just fun. Or weird? I'm not sure. It, it's certainly... <laughs> I think it's an amusingly weird thing. But yeah, basically, two dudes were like, Hey, I'm gonna make a nerdy-ass franchise. And base... And just build it up to be a, basically a vehicle for this hot lady I'm dating. And the other guy was like, Dude, I'm fucking doing that too. And because that's... Essentially, you know, is essentially what both the movies are. Fantasy movies directed by guys to make jobs for their hot girlfriends. Now, whether or not the purpose of the job was to be was to make them their girlfriends or the purpose of the job was to give uh, their girlfriends jobs, I, I couldn't tell you. Although it is worth noting that they didn't marry their, their prospective spouses until like the second or so movie. Although the one that the one that makes Underworld really weird, the Kate Beckinsale was previously married to head vampire, sorry, head werewolf Michael Sheen, uh, who plays Lucian in the film, and uh, so like he was in a film with his at the time were they dating or married? I don't remember, but Michael Sheen was with Kate Beckinsale and they were together. I think at the beginning of the filming of this movie, and then as the franchise went on, uh, she was married to the director. Which is weird. That, uh, yeah, yeah. So it, it kind of feels, okay, so in this case, it kind of feels like when Lynn Wiseman was like, I'm gonna use this movie series to steal Michael Sheen's girlfriend. Also, fun weird fact, the director claims that essentially... Celine is based off a like-named Marvel comic book character, only you know, without the copyright or approval and whatnot. I'm surprised nobody got sued. So anyways, in the first Underworld movie, basically, Kate Beckinsale's character uncovers a plot and believes that the head of her, the current person, the head of her, her clan, her vampire clan, is, is secretly plotting with the Lycan, and then that leads to her just, and that leads to her waking up Bill Nye's Victor, who, by the way, is a highlight of the series. Bill Nye's in like three of these movies, and he's well, well, technically he's in two of these movies. He appears in one of them in flashbacks, 
But the two movies he's in, he's doing a great job. Go you, Bill Nye. You're one hell of a vampire. But anyways, so Selena covers up this plot, which leads to her undercovering this, this secret fact about their history. And, uh, which ultimately leads to her deciding to rescue the human that the, vamp that the werewolves are trying to get their hands on. Because the werewolves want to use this human to make a werewolf-vampire hybrid who will be super powerful. Essentially, it's, it's full of a lot of fantasy and intrigue and action. And by the end of it, you know, Scott Speedman say, is a, is a hybrid. I won't go into how it happens, but essentially, by the end, he's the hybrid, and they're in love. Now, I will say, the first movie was weirdly billed as, like, a Romeo and Juliet story, and the first movie really isn't. Like, her journey, like, I would say Celine's journey is a lot more individualistic and different than the stories of Romeo and Juliet. If anything the third movie which i'll get into in a minute is a lot more like romeo and juliet anyways the first movie i definitely recommend it's a good time if you're down for some fantasy and you don't mind trying to follow like game of thrones-esque lore that comes at you kind of fast and hard which brings you to underworld evolution well basically underworld evolution is that Celine and Scott Speedman's character Michael are on the run from their from her previous vampire coven, who think that uh, the the hybrid is a, is a little an abomination and needs to be wiped out. And Celine has been totally disen uh, like disillusioned with the uh, with the vampires now that she realizes. How fucking racist they are. Now, the thing that's interesting about this movie is this movie has much more of a heavy emphasis on the uh, fact that Michael and Celine have a, have a romance. And I'm going to be honest with you here. The thing about this is, is in the first movie, the romance is really not there. Like, in the first movie, you don't really think she's into him until, like way late in the film like for most of the film i think she, it doesn't feel like they have a chemistry or interest in each other they just want to survive so what i'm saying is in the second movie it feels like they're trauma bonded as fuck basically they're both on the run they have no one else they fall in love with each other which makes sense the interesting things about the second movie is that the second, first and second movie continues to tell, like, what is kind of the real story of Underworld in a weird way. Because both the, sec the first and second movie are, current, are constantly building in this lore of something that happened a long-ass time ago between the vampires and the werewolves. And each of those movies sort of builds in a different piece of what was going on and how their world was formed. But in a way, they both reference the same story. The same series of events. Underworld Evolution is also interesting because it brings in the third faction of the immortal. Because in the story, all the vampires and werewolves are descended from the world's first immortal man, 
uh, Corvinus. I forget his first name. But so Corvinus, uh, played, by, played by Derek Jacobi, is an immortal who is neither lichen nor vampire. The story being that his pre that one of each of his sons had been infected by one of the other. One bitten by a vampire and the other bitten by a werewolf. But Corvinus is technically a human immortal. And secretly runs a fact and secretly control ha has an army of humans who go around making sure that other humans don't find out about Corvinus's children. And essentially try and keep their populations from causing too much damage to the human world. And this sort of all culminates into Selene herself becoming a new type of hybrid who is also part human hybrid. And she can now walk in the sun. Yeah, I know. That does sound like Blade. But the second movie is, is fun. And the interesting thing about the second movie also is that there's a deliberate change of filter. The first movie has a very stark, cold filter on the imagery. The first film is an almost black and blue, or sorry, white and blue type appearance. Everything is extremely pale or extremely dark. The second movie, interestingly enough, changes this up. And the filter almost resembles Dawn, like a strange sort of a strange sort of yellowish warmth has been added to many of the scenes. And I'm not entirely sure what the film is trying to convey here, but it does feel like it is conveying something. These scenes specifically seem to occur when her and Michael are together. Leading me to believe that the director was trying to go for something here, trying to imply some type of humanizing effect between the two of them. The thing that is made a lot, the thing that is clear that we know about the events that were in the past is that at one point, the, were, the lichen were slaves to the vampires. And I will say this is the thing that's interesting about the first three movies in this series is that. At a certain point, you're like, you know, this is clearly, pretty clearly about race. Like, it's very clear that the vampires are the oppressors, and the lichen are the people who are oppressed. And that's made even clearer in the third movie. The thing that's interesting about the third movie is, is that many people could argue from a storytelling point, the third movie should have happened first, because in many ways, the third movie is really about the inciting incidents that took place thousands of years before Kate Beckinsale's uh, character is involved. Interestingly enough, this film stars Michael Sheen again, who was apparently ha more than happy to return to the franchise, even though the franchise makes his ex and the guy who t stole his ex tons of money. So... Where was I? So, Ra Underworld Rise of the Lycans is about this inciting incident. And it tells us the story of Lucian, who is in love with Sonya, who is Bill Nye, a.k.a. Victor, the evil, creepy, the evil bad guy from the first movie. And this tells the story of how his daughter, a vampire, fell in love with 
Michael Sheen's lichen. In the story, Michael Sheen is essentially the top slave in the vampire services. Essentially, the vampires enslave lichen to protect them while they sleep. And also for, you know, manual labor. The thing that's... in Within the lore of the story, essentially... The son of Michael, the son of Corvinus, who was bit by a vampire, I'm sorry, bit by a werewolf, essentially slowly turned into a horrific monster who could not control himself. And so he was eventually packed. He was essentially, essentially, eventually sort of permanently imprisoned, much to his vampire brother's dismay. However, one day... One day, another van another werewolf, because they still, because even before they had sort of trained them to take care of them while they slept, I mean, well, use them for manual labor. There were essentially two types of lichen: the ones that were totally out of control, and later the more human ones. Essentially, what happened is that Michael Sheen's Lucian character is born from one of their enslaved sort of more animalistic lichen. And lo and behold, he apparently he can he is he has a human form, something that most of the lichen have lost. And therefore can be intelligent and his transformations can be can be controlled. And so he is then used to bite prisoners to turn them into more of his type of lichen so that they can have manual labor. However, eventually, Sonya falls in love with Lucian, and that does not make Victor happy. And the whole movie is about their struggle to overcome their sort of, you know, the racism towards their intermarriage. Because the whole, because the series really is about the, is about racism aimed at, like, uh, like mixed race people or at least that is the first movie well i'm sorry the first three movies the first three movies essentially for being so white uh essentially for being such a largely white cast films are essentially about what i just said the racism aimed at sort of mixed race people fun fact i just discovered so i will say i just made fun of the movie for having largely white casts, which is true. Um, however, there were, I, in fact, like when I think about the movies, I can only really think of one prominent black actor in the film, and I don't know what this means, but I just found out that the, the one prominent black actor that I can think of from the films uh, is also in the films as a lichen. Like, I'm sorry, no. He's in the film as a lichen, and he's also the guy who wrote the movies. <laughs> Well, co-wrote the movies with Lynn Wiseman. So that's interesting. I don't know what that means. Um, well, actually, I just discovered that. I just thought that was interesting. Um, <clears throat> that's what happens. That's what makes it easier to pull movies up when you're actually talking about them. So you see them, and you're like, oh, weird facts about the things. Fun fact, also, the three people who wrote these movies were Kevin Gruveau, the gentleman I'm just referring to, who plays Raz, or Raz, R-A-Z-E. Uh, Lynn Wiseman and a guy named Danny McBride. And no, 
He's not that Danny McBride. I thought that at first, too, but I checked, and it wasn't. All right. Anyways, where was I? Underworld Rise of the Lycan is honestly, I, it might be the best movie in the series. It kind of, I, I, it's just good. And it kind of makes, the way it ties into the first movie is actually really solid. And in terms of prequels, it's it's an actually good prequel, is what I'm saying. A lot of prequels pull a lot of George Lucas bullshit. And Underworld's Rise of the Lycan doesn't. Um, it's connections that it makes to the later movies make sense. And aren't, you know, a waste. Now, the thing is, though, is that if you watch the other two movies, you know how the third movie is going to end. Because the ending of the third movie is told to us in those movies. In fact, what I would recommend is if you are someone who... If you're someone who needs to see things instead of have people tell you them, you might want to watch Underworld Rise of the Lycan first. Because you remember how I said that the first two movies are kind of lore-heavy? Well, technically speaking, Underworld's Rise of the Lycan is the lore they're referring to. Now, in fairness, the the one uh, there is one thing that kind of makes more sense if you watch the second movie before the third movie. But generally speaking, the third movie, for some people, might make the series easier to digest if you watch the third movie first. If you want to watch them in the original way that they were released, that still totally works. It gives it like a Tarantino-esque twist on how you absorb the story. Um, mildly. But some people might want to watch the third movie first. Now, the third movie does have a lot more CGI lichen than the first movie. So I will say it has, once again, not aged as well as the first movie. Which is why I do go back and forth on which of these movies is the best in the series. But let it be known, it's definitely the first or third movie. And the th it's a nice, tight little... It's a surprisingly tight, enjoyable little fantasy trilogy. Um, which brings us to the fourth and fifth movies, which are different. No, they're okay. So, we go to Underworld Awakening. Underworld Awakening was essentially an attempt to, like, was sort of like the return of Kate Beckinsale to the series. Sort of like the kick it back up there with Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. The part that got most of you involved with these, uh, these, into these movies to begin with. And, uh, actually, Underworld Awakening is interesting. It is the movie in the series with the highest budget and it is also the film in the series that made the most money at box office now i'm sorry i worded that wrong it had the highest box office technically since it cost the most to make its margin of profit was probably lower than some of the other films especially when you consider the first film uh was uh especially when you consider the first film was uh real cheap to produce real cheap like it definitely made at least three or four times its budget but underworld awakening 
they were like, you know what, let's throw a little bit extra money at this series. And you can kind of feel it in the film. It's definitely got a higher octane of action than the previous films. Basically, somehow at some point, Kate Beckinsale... At the beginning of the film, Kate Beckinsale and Scott Speedman's characters are captured by humans. Because humans have now, after the events of Underworld Evolution, have now become aware of vampires and werewolves. And so now, they're out on the street hunting and exterminating them. And the humans... Uh, yeah, the humans are now hunting both of them. And they have tests that they do on them to try and... to try and determine if they're human and, and catch them. And basically, Scott... Uh, Scott Speedman's character kind of gets blowed up, and so does Celine's, Celine's character. And they get caught, and they wake up like 12 years later. And when they wake up, well, Celine wakes up 12 years later in a weird human-owned uh, facility where they test, where they do tests on vampires and werewolves, and essentially where they develop the technology to catch the vampires and werewolves. So Celine, someone wakes her up, and she escapes. And she keeps having these weird visions that she thinks are going to lead her to Michael. Kind of a spoiler, but they actually lead her to a 12-year-old girl. Who is a hybrid, like Michael. And as the story develops, we learn, is Celine's daughter, who they... I guess, cut out of her while she was unconscious and who they had been raising in captivity to experiment on her because she is immune to sunlight and silver. Now, the thing that's kind of nice about this movie is that there's a lot going on for Kate Beckinsale's character in terms of, like, emotions and things that she's affected by. And she goes on... She's on a journey to try and find Michael, the guy who she's trauma-bonded to hardcore, and now she's got this daughter with her. And she's in a world she doesn't recognize because the movie suddenly looks super modern. Don't get me wrong. The first movie takes place took place in a contemporary, like, British setting. With, like, regular humans and train cars and cell phones and shit. But, like, 2012, Underworld Awakening definitely feels more like it takes place a little bit in the near future. Probably, you know, like, today. Well, that would only be ten years from 2012. Anyways, where was I? Alright. Basically, she takes... She takes shelter in another coven, led by a vampire named Thomas, played by Charles Dance, and his daughter, I mean, his son, David. Also, Celine's daughter is named E. And so it's kind of a mess, because now the humans are hunting Celine, and the werewolves seem to be out of the picture, and whatnot. However... There's some twists, there's some turns, there's some new discoveries. It goes around. It's generally a nice, tight action movie. It's only an hour and 28 minutes, so you're not going to be, like, losing a ton of time 
watching it. But anyways, there are some things that are weird about Underworld Awakening. First of all, I have to assume the fact that Scott Speedsman's character is barely in the film and honestly could easily be a body double means that maybe he wasn't available or interested or something. I don't know. But uh, he's only... His character is barely in the film. Now, this does set up an interesting, like, thing for Kate Beckinsale's character to have as a goal, a want, if you will. Very emotionally powerful one. And, of course, now she's dealing with this child she never knew she had. It's a lot for her character, and she's still doing all the action stuff. Fighting vampires and werewolves. Now, the one thing that is weird about this point in the series is that Awakenings kind of deviates from what the from the allegories of the previous films. Where if I look at the previous films and I go, oh, the allegory is pretty clear here. It's basically about the it's basically about the violence and racism directed at directed at, you know, black people and mixed race people using vampires and lichen as metaphors. And then you get to the Underworld Awakening and it gets a little, and it's clear that they're not really focused on that metaphor anymore. And if they were, it would be weird because, kind of a spoiler, but in this movie, the werewolves are definitely the baddies. And that feels off from the movie's previous, from the from the previous film's metaphor. It's almost as if we've gotten to the point where the franchise is no longer talking about its metaphor anymore. Um, oh, there's also a good guy, human named Michael, uh, played by Michael Ely, uh, who's a detective cop guy. Oh, uh, Stephen Ray is also in the movie as a creepy scientist. And so that just adds a weird layer. I'm going to give the films the benefit of the doubt and say that because this film is technically written and directed by other people uh, who were not the original writers, and by the original writers I mean Kevin Graval, the guy I was previously talking about, who, create, who apparently originally created the characters. Since it wasn't written by that guy, I'm going to assume that might be part of it. But it, it definitely deviates from the original metaphor quite a bit. Now, that being said, the character and adventure stuff is still pretty solid and entertaining. And it sets up some interesting things for the final film, the fifth film, to, uh, to touch on. Uh, which brings us... To Blood Wars, which... <sighs> okay, so I won't say that... I, I didn't find Blood Wars to be some type of unwatchable film, but Blood Wars is also incredibly frustrating in the type of sequel that it turns out to be. I mean, what... <sighs> because you see, the thing is, is that Underworld Blood Wars pulls the same fucking bullshit 
the Resident Evil 6 pulled, okay? Like, it, actually, the, the similarities are uncanny, okay? Basically, both movies, basically, in Resident Evil 5 and Underworld 4, they, the, the, the same kind of thing happens, where they basically give the main character a daughter, okay? They give them a character, they give them a character, and they set up a bunch of stakes, like, very, like, climactic stakes. In Resident Evil 4, in Resident Evil 5, the climactic stake they set up was, there's gonna be a showdown at the White House between the armies of the undead and the Umbrella Corporation and the last survivors of humanity, including Alice and her, her daughter. And then, at the end of Awakenings, they're like, I've got my daughter now, and we're gonna go find Michael. And it's, a whole new world now, because we got the humans being dicks to us. I guess now the humans are the oppressors. But like, uh, but like that movie sets up that. And the thing is that both movies are like, eh, we're not gonna do that. And I will say that Underworld Blood Wars probably does a better job of writing off the things. I mean, in a certain way, like, at least it ties some of the things it dropped into the... It's, it's, it's try to explain it. Resident Evil, she just wakes up and everyone else is dead, including her daughter, which is never addressed or talked about again. Just every other character in Resident Evil 5, you wake up in Resident Evil 6, they're all dead. Just dead. Oh, wait. Did the Claire Valentine survive? Oh, wait, yeah, but that's because Claire Valentine wasn't in... Wait, who was... One of the female characters from Resident Evil survived. I can't remember who, but I'm getting distracted. But basically, Resident Evil 6, she woke up. All those characters and ideas had... Already, like, the final... They lost the final battle. Every other character died. Just her roaming the wasteland now. And then, in Underworld, Blood Wars... Ugh. We get to find out that Kate, the daughter that Kate Beckinsale's character has just become involved with in the previous film, at some point decided that for both their safety, she was just going to write her mom a letter and disappear. Uh, and that's exactly what she does. Just vamooses, gone, bam, written out of the story, never comes to anything. There's this incredibly powerful hybrid wandering the world and it doesn't matter Ugh. now during the film Kate Beckinsale's character does claim to be on a quest to find Michael that is her goal uh, but she is getting pulled in to the vampire uh, werewolf war because it looks like the the lichens have gotten their shit together and they are somehow stronger and the silver's not hurting them like it used to. Something's going on. And it just... <sighs> now the thing about this movie is in the previous movie, the character David, who was uh, the vampire Thomas's kid, he's now a main character. And in fact, arguably this film is... You could say that a large part of this movie, this movie, is about him. 
really. It's, it, a lot of the film is his journey. Now, don't get me wrong, Celine's character is still going on her own journey and ultimately is the ass kicker who, who uh, comes through most of the film. And, but, uh, but Vampire David, a lot of the story is about him. And that's okay, he's not bad, but it does make you feel like the franchise has strayed from its storytelling quite a bit at this point. Now that being said, I will say for this uh, one thing I did like about Underworld Blood Wars, that it has a badass, uh, a badass uh, vampire uh, woman villain who is... Who does? Who I thought did a pretty damn good job, to be honest. Um, I, I thought, uh, yeah, I thought uh, solid villain, uh, solid performance, good stuff, and it's got some okay action. But by the end of the film, it, it is also worth noting. I should also mention this. I said the vampire villainous is cool, but the werewolf villain, the werewolf half of the villain dynamic, uh, is just there. I mean, no, no offense to the guy who played him, but like he's not, doesn't really got a lot going on in terms of being a villain. He's just kind of a guy who, I mean, he's got a plan. He's He's, he's rocking the whole cult leader vibe. But uh, it's not really in the much of a way of character development for the guy. He's just sort of there and we're supposed to take him as like the new big bad because he's powerful, I guess. And the film pretty much also ends... And also, by the end of the film, the film extinguishes any hope that Scott Speedman's character would return in a future film. It kills him off. There. I'm sorry, that was a spoiler. It, it just... It's... It's a whole thing, man. It's a whole... Like, I don't know if it's... Like, they couldn't get him back or what. It just... I just didn't? I don't know. Overall, I would definitely say that I can recommend the first three movies. I think the first three movies uh, are pretty great. I really do. Um, don't get me wrong. They're not perfect movies, and they're, they're a little cheesy. And if there's one thing I'll say about Underworld movies versus the Resident Evil movies, that I know some people would probably prefer the re about the Resident Evil movies versus the Underworld movies. The Underworld movies definitely take themselves more seriously. Like, Underworld has more a Game of Thrones vibe. Like, that is the other thing. Also, I was under the last movie feels very Game of Thrones. Like, it, that's another problem with the, with, un, with the Blood Wars movie. Is, is it, like, everything that was set up with the humans in the fourth movie, just not there. The humans don't matter at all in Blood Wars. Like, why did we even set them up as a threat in the previous movie? Their actions aren't having any consequences on the story. Why? Didn't do anything with it. Ugh. So, in conclusion, I kind of like the Underworld movies better than the Resident Evil movies. I think they are technically 
in terms of storytelling, at least the first three movies, I think are better than the Resident Evil movies. That being said, the Resident Evil movies don't take themselves as seriously and have a little bit more of a mainstreamness to them. I don't know how else to describe it. But overall, I did like the Underworld movies. There's, like I said, I, I, I got into the, the whole world building that the first three movies set up. I thought it was really nice. Fun stuff. And decent action. Nothing groundbreaking. And clearly sometimes they're operating with inside their budget. But overall, but overall, if you're under, if anything I have said sounds even remotely interesting to you, I do recommend seeing them. Now, they are, heads up, they are rated R. Now, if you're a vampire, if you're into vampire stuff, that probably doesn't bother you. But, you know, just giving you a heads up, like the Resident Evil movies, these movies are pretty graphically violent. Uh, maybe not as gratuitous as the Resident Evil movies, but still, you know, there's blood and decapitations. And people getting stabbed with stuff. Because, you know, vampires. Alright. Well, want to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. Please uh, check out more of my podcast if this is your first time listening. Also, please, uh, if you like what you've heard, please recommend my podcast to people. Feel free to interact with me over social media. Wherever you get your podcast, please like, subscribe, or whatever it is your individual podcast supplier uh, provides you with in terms of positive options that will make people, help people notice me. I uh, want to thank you very much for listening. And uh, you have a wonderful vampire day. Wait a minute, vampire day? Would that like be a day that sucked the energy out of you? Ah, shit, no, that sounds like a terrible day to have. Have a lichen day. I mean, no, that doesn't make any sense. I hope you liken your day. I get a feeling this will only get worse. I should stop.